Hello there and welcome along to Planet Sport Football Africa, a passion for sport production where we look at African football, what's happening around the continent and what African players are doing overseas. I'm Steve Vickers in Harare, Zimbabwe, joined by Ida Waringa in Nairobi, Kenya and by Stuart Weir in the UK. And on this week's show, we ask whether Algeria coach Jamel Belmadi deserved a place among the finalists in the Best FIFA Football Awards. Despite winning the Africa Cup of Nations in July, Belmadi is not among the final three. Also, we have an interview with the 1997 African Footballer of the Year, Victor Ikpeba of Nigeria. Ikpeba tells us about his long career in Europe and how he benefited from playing under Arsene Wenger at Monaco. I will save. From my heart, you know, thanks to Wenge because uh, without Wenge giving him that opportunity to play in AS Monaco, maybe I would never have been African Player of the Year. Also, is the tension between Sadio Mane and Mohamed Salah anything for Liverpool fans to get worried about? That's all coming up. First, lots of action happening at continental level. The first round of qualifying for Africa for the 2022 FIFA World Cup is underway. The two-legged ties go on up to next Tuesday. And a massive shock on Thursday as Somalia beat Zimbabwe 1-0 on neutral ground in Djibouti. Somalia are the joint lowest-ranked nation in Africa. The last time they won a game was a friendly against Djibouti in 2008. And their last competitive win was at the Sikafa Cup in 2005 over Djibouti, that's some 14 years ago. While Somalia played with confidence and got the winner in the 86th minute, the second leg is on here in Harare on Tuesday. And in another big surprise, Djibouti beat Eswatini by two goals to one in the first leg of their tie. The men's under-23 Africa Cup of Nations qualifiers are on as well. It's the final qualifying round. Eight teams will play in the finals in Egypt and the top three at that tournament in November qualify for next year's Olympic Games. And the women's Olympic qualifiers continue. In the second round, South Africa were knocked out on penalties by Botswana in a huge upset. Botswana plays Zambia in the third qualifying round. Zambia had a walkover after Zimbabwe failed to turn up at home here in Harare for the second league of their tie. The players refused to play over unpaid dues. There are five rounds of qualifying for the women's Olympics. Only one team is guaranteed a place in Japan next year. So there's plenty happening around the continent. Now, Algeria coach Jamel Belmadi missed out on a place among the finalists in the Best FIFA Football Awards, despite winning the Africa Cup of Nations in July. The three finalists for the Best Men's Coach are all in the English Premier League. That's Pep Guardiola, Jurgen Klopp and Mauricio Pochettino. Belmadi was on the initial 10-man shortlist. Uh, As expected, Liverpool's Sadio Mane and Mohamed Salah didn't make it to the final three for the Best Men's Player, with Cristiano Ronaldo and Lionel Messi being chosen along with Virgil van Dijk who's already won the UEFA Men's Player of the Year award. Winners will be announced on the 23rd of this month and it's not just Jamel Belmadi who might feel hard done by in that selection for the Best Coach Award because Brazil coach Tite won the Copa America and also got to the 10-man shortlist but not to the final three. Well, I don't know, Ida. There's no doubt about the credentials, obviously, of Pep Guardiola, of Jurgen Klopp and Mauricio Pochettino, who are the three finalists for the award. But uh, on the other hand, these are not the UEFA awards. They're global. And Belmadi and Tite have won their continental championships. Many would say they deserve recognition. 
You're right, Steve. And far from these not being the UEFA Awards, these are also not the Premier League Awards. And I actually feel really passionately about this because as attractive and marketable as the English Premier League is, is it to say that it's become the benchmark of success in football? I will admit that Jurgen Klopp definitely deserves to be on that list for guiding Liverpool to the Champions League. I mean, I will be the first to admit that because that was huge. But Guardiola and Pochettino, not so much. And as you've said there, Belmadi, who is a local, guided a team he used to play for to the title after 29 years, Steve. And on the other hand, Tite led Brazil to a first major trophy in 12 years. I mean, come on, since when did a league title played annually equate to a continental title? The very conspicuous absence of accomplished Africans from those shortlists is very, very telling, Steve. And we're not looking for tokens, but Sadio Mane won the Champions League with Liverpool and then got to the Nations Cup final with Senegal. And come to think of it, isn't that exactly what Virgil van Dijk did by winning the same Champions League and then getting to the UEFA Nations final with Netherlands? Yet Van Dijk, who recently won UEFA Best Player, is in the top three, and Sadio Mane didn't even get a nod at the final nominee list. Steve, I'll take you back to 2014 when Samir Nasri, who was still at Manchester City, said that Yaya Toure would be regarded as one of the world's best players if he wasn't African. Those words ring true now as they did five years ago. And it's simply just a case of the same script, but different cast. Well, it's a big talking point at this one, asking for your views on this on social media this week. Uh, Should Jamel Belmadi have been a finalist uh, for the FIFA Football Awards uh, for the best men's coach? Yes, we know that Guardiola, Klopp and Pochettino are quite clearly among the best uh, in the world. There's no doubt about that. But uh, Belmadi uh, did win the Africa Cup of Nations. Uh, Brazil coach Tite won the Copa America, but they both didn't make it to the final three. So uh, do you think Belmadi deserved more recognition for winning a continental championship or at the end of the day is the no doubt that uh, Belmadi is uh, simply not as good as the likes of Guardiola and Klopp. You can go to our Facebook page and post a comment there or send us a WhatsApp to plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. That's plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. Should Belmadi have been a finalist at the FIFA Awards? Now, Ida, big Kenyan star Victor Wanyama was set to move from Tottenham to Club Bruges in Belgium as a club record signing, but the deal fell through as the transfer window closed. Uh, What went wrong there and what do fans in Kenya think about this? You know, Wanyama signifies a lot for the Kenyan football fan. And the country had had previous Kenyans, including Wanyama's brother, McDonald Mariga, do well in Europe. But Victor was the first Kenyan to play in the English Premier League, which, as you know, Steve, very well, is huge in this part of Africa. And yes, all was pointing to a move to Club Bruges, but there were also claims that he was to move to Trabzonspor in Turkey, although that turned out to be false. Well, initial reports were that Wanyama's family was opposed to the move, but all that notwithstanding, finances also played a huge part in the deal not going through. 
You see, Wanyama had been offered a four-year deal by Bruges, but was set to take a huge pay cut from his £65,000 a week salary at Tottenham. And naturally, he wasn't happy with this and reportedly used delaying tactics to stave off the move. It's claimed that Wanyama said that he didn't want to fly from London to Belgium to finalize the move, as that was the same channel that Emiliano Sala flew across before the tragic accident. And within that push and pull, the transfer window closed. Now, the thing is that reportedly didn't go down well with Tottenham chairman Daniel Levy, and that could very well mean that Wanyama will find it hard to regain his place in the side. However, it's not like he had a particularly good 2018-19 season. A nagging injury saw him make just 13 appearances, though his impact was felt a bit more in the Champions League campaign. Although we'll have to wait until the next transfer window, as his old club Celtic FC have said to be interested. Well, so there was a lot going on there behind these scenes. Uh, Thanks, Ida. More transfer news later on. Uh, Now here on Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport, to our interview with the 1997 African Footballer of the Year. That's Victor Ikpeba of Nigeria. Ikpeba played as a striker. He spent six seasons with Monaco in France and three seasons in Germany at Borussia Dortmund. He won the 1994 Africa Cup of Nations with the Super Eagles and Olympic gold in 1996. Ikpeba is now a pundit with Supersport broadcasting around the continent. Now, Planet Sport Football Africa's Oloeshina Okaleji spoke to Ikpeba and first asked about his early days in Europe. He went to Royal Football Club de Liège in Belgium when he was just 16. So how did he manage? Think first of all, determination, belief, desire. And uh, I think I had my progression from Belgium. Money was not the issue in the beginning. I think I just wanted to play. I wanted to show that I'm good enough to, to play. And uh, determination was there. I know I have to go there and compete against the young Belgians, you know, and uh, make a name for myself, you know. So I think for young players going abroad, you know, they shouldn't think about the money. I think they have to think about playing well, doing well. You have to fight for it. You have to work hard for it. And I think I had all those attributes. Very, very important for young players, you know. Because what we see, you know, sometimes these young players, they are carried away. They think they've landed. <laughs> but you've not landed. Yeah, a football player, you need to have a career of 10, 15, 20 years sometimes, you know, if you're injury-free. So I think determination was there and the desire to really do it was there. And I think uh, credit to the manager I had, uh, died some few months ago, Daniel Everett really helped me. It's good to have a good manager. He's there for you when the going is good, when the going is tough. Support you emotionally. And if you surround yourself with these uh, people, and you as a player, you, you must show that fighting spirit. You must show that determination, and uh, the sky will be your limit. And talking about managers, I mean, you, you've played under loads of them. And, I mean, at AS Monaco, um, you had the opportunity of um, working under Asen Wenger. And everyone said they credit him to being one of those managers who look after the young people. Tell us your experience on him. It's true. I think he has really done well for African players. I think he's one of the managers that I really believe on the potential, the abilities of African players. You know, I think uh, Wenger will go in any history book as one of those managers that really are fit in African players. The list are long. Well, where uh, Terry Ori, Victor Ekpeba, the great Yusuf Fufana, 
<laughs> Roger Mendy. No, no, the list are long, you know. Uh, in his days in Monaco, even the French uh, black players, you know, he had believed in this, uh, this, uh, pl- the quality of these African players, you know. So, yeah, uh, he has shown in recent years during his days in. In Arsenal, you know, putting faith in young players, you know, not a manager does that. If you look the low likes of uh, uh, Mourinho and the, the list of managers along, they want ready-made players, you know, but it brings these players from nowhere and make them star, you know. So it really, I would say from my heart, you know, thanks to Wenger because uh, without Wenger giving him that opportunity to play in AS Monaco, maybe I would never have been African Player of the Year. Maybe I might, I might never have the opportunity to be with the team that won the Olympics, be with the squad that went to the World Cup in 94. So I'm really grateful for that uh, man. He's a good man, a good human being. And I'm sure, I, I'm sure he missed football, actually, but uh, <laughs> I think he has done his own bits. And earlier you mentioned something about players shouldn't allow money to be the, the motivational thing for them to want to play professional football in Europe. But Victor, to be honest with you, you know that's difficult in this modern day. It's difficult. Things have changed. And uh, I I really don't want to see our young lads going to the English League immediately. I want to see them going to the traditional smaller leagues like Portugal, France, Belgium. They they can learn European football for a while. Or even going to France. These countries are even going to Holland. These countries usually give these young players that platform. The opportunity to, to express themselves, you know, because what we are seeing in England, maybe it's changing a little bit because now even the young English players now, some of them, some of them do have the opportunity to play some of these clubs, but it's difficult for them to be a first-team player. So, for you to really have that progression, you need to start somewhere and learn. For African player, you have to learn the the European style of football. You will get it in these uh, leagues in Belgium, France, Holland, you know. I, I, when you do well there, you have the opportunity to go and play in, in, in Syria, La Liga, the English Premier Leagues. So we all know what is happening in the transfer market. They go to these countries in France, in, in Belgium, Holland, to pick these quality players, you know, because they know they are learning the trade from that very good league, because these are the leagues that really pay emphasis on uh, youth development, development when it comes to, to, to football. So I think it's good because we've seen in recent years I don't want to call names of these players going to the in English Premier League. Some of them have done well. Someone like Undidi for example went to Belgium. He's not applying his trade in Leicester and he's doing well. Maybe one day Real Madrid or one of the biggest clubs will come for him. You, these players need to go somewhere and have that experience you know, before they go to the bigger leagues. Well, wise words there from Victor Ikpeba, the 1997 African Footballer of the Year. He's from Nigeria, speaking there to Oluwashina Okaleji. And more from Ikpeba on next week's show. This is Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport. You can download our app and listen to the show anytime and access past programmes in our archive. To download, go to the Play Store or the Apple iTunes App Store and enter Planet Sport Football Africa. You can listen to on our New Look website, that's planetsport.tv. Well, now we turn to social media, and last week we looked at the long-running debate over whether foreign coaches are better than local coaches for national teams in Africa. This year's Nations Cup final was contested between two local coaches, and Egypt and Kenya have both said they want to go in the direction of local coaches. On the other hand, Liberia the other day appointed an English coach. So we asked, what are your views on this issue? Can local coaches take Africa to the highest level? And will they always struggle to get the respect of high-profile players. Here's Adrian Barnard with some of your comments. 
Well, thanks uh, then, Steve. And we'll start today on Facebook. Uh, Gift Abdul in Malawi says, To me, I go for local coaches because they know each and every player very well. And in addition to that, they know our cultural values very well too. And Ra Silla in Sierra Leone agrees. It's time we give the local coaches a chance, says Ra. For my country, Sierra Leone, we have Mohamed Kalon and others. And yet we still gave the job of national coach to a Ghanaian, Selas Teta. And here's Rafael Laefa Harry in the USA. Europe and South and North America don't consider African talent when it comes to coaching, despite the number of African players that have boosted their leagues. If they're not going to consider African talent worthy of coaching in the bigger markets, then we should at least be giving African talent opportunities on the continent. Not only with the national teams, but also with the biggest African clubs too, says Raphael. To WhatsApp now, and Modu Imar Jack in the Gambia says, For me, there is no difference between local and foreign coaches. I think local coaches can do it if they're given the chance. It's time for Africa to turn to its local coaches. And Michael Johnson in Sierra Leone agrees. Local coaches are the best for national teams, says Michael. They've proved it on several occasions. In the recently concluded AFCON, I never set my eyes on a particular player misbehaving in front of their coach. Biswek Njakwa in Malawi is a passionate supporter of local coaches. Foreign coaches have never helped Africa, except in a very few occasions, says Biswek. Zambia can attest that foreign coaches are good, considering that they won AFCON under Hervé Renard. But look at Malawi. Malawi qualified for AFCON twice, and both times under local coaches. In 1984, under the legendary late Henry Moyo, and in 2010, under Jinnah Piri. In Egypt, it was Hassan Shahata who made history by making Egypt win the AFCON three times, from 2006 to 2010. Despite such feats, African countries have never appreciated local talent to the extent that only foreign coaches are given ample time to adapt and rebuild their teams. Such patience and luxury is never given to local coaches. But Mohamed Toure in The Gambia disagrees. To me, African coaches are not able to take Africa to a higher level of football, says Mohamed. The reason is that the board sometimes interferes when some of the board members want their relatives to be in the team. A foreign coach won't be dictated to, but a local coach will be afraid to say no, because if he does, he will lose his position as a coach. And so for this reason, I prefer to have a foreign coach, says Mohammed. And we always welcome your voice notes here on Planet Sport Football Africa. And here's Michael Mbaka in The Gambia. I think the priority should be given to our local coaches first. Africans, we take ourselves to be independent. And uh, from that point of view, it means a country is self-sufficient, which means that particular country can help herself before the help of another person. So for that being the case, I think we absorb first our local coaches and they can take us to the higher echelons, to the highest level they can, of course. 
So uh, thank you for that, Michael. And uh, Alfred Ndimba in Malawi is another supporter of local coaches. I support the idea of local coaches, says Alfred, and I'm sure they have the capacity to take Africa to the highest level. On the issue of managing high-profile players, I see no problem, because in football, every player has to respect the coach's decisions. And here's another voice note, this time from Ali Mami Fofana in The Gambia, who makes the point about the challenge facing locally recruited coaches of international teams when they have to manage players earning huge salaries at their clubs. If a local coach come and coach them, it's not easy for them to obey this local coach because he found out that these guys, they are well paid in Europe. This coach is not well paid. So it's very, very difficult for them to obey these people. These guys are driving powerful cars more than the coaches are driving. So you see, this is the problem. But some of these local coaches, they can do it because they already play football, they know a lot of things. But some of them, they don't have the experience. Yes, and that's certainly a big challenge that we've seen many international coaches having to face across Africa. Thanks for that, uh, Ale Mami. And finally, Aaron Nightway Emmy in Uganda says, I hope local coaches will be able to succeed. I've been inspired by the Senegalese coach, but we've seen others not being given time, for example with Cameroon. African countries are hungry for results, but I hope if local coaches are given enough time, says Aaron Nightway, they will prove their worth. So there you have it, Steve. The overwhelming view from our correspondents this week is that local coaches can take Africa to the highest level if they're offered more opportunities and if they're given enough time. But I have a feeling, Steve, that we'll still be debating this for many years to come. Uh, Yeah, I think so too. Uh, Very interesting. Thanks for that, Adrian. And now to our European football expert, Stuart Weir, also in the UK. No English Premier League games on this weekend as it's an international weekend. So let's take stock of the first four rounds of games in England, which sees Liverpool top of the table with four out of four and 12 points. Manchester City second on 10, Leicester surprisingly in third and Crystal Palace in fourth, Stuart. Yes, what a start to the season for Liverpool, because it's not just those four straight wins. If you remember, the last nine games last season, they also won. So that's a run of 13 consecutive Premier League wins, which is incredible. Manchester City, three wins in a draw. And remember, that draw came when VAR ruled out Gabriel Jesus' winner uh, against Tottenham very controversially. Now, I said in my preview of the season, and a lot of listeners on social media agreed, that we should not expect Liverpool and Manchester City to run away from the rest as they did last season. We should expect a lot more from the other top clubs. But so far, it hasn't happened. After four games, Arsenal are five points behind Liverpool, and Manchester United, Tottenham and Chelsea are seven points behind. And in fact, United, Spurs and Chelsea have only recorded one win in their first four games. And now, remember how Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, when he was appointed temporary manager of Manchester United, famously won nine away games in a row. Well, since that, United have not won any away Premier League games. Yes, Leicester City and Crystal Palace are in the top four. But I don't think they'll stay there. And don't forget, Steve, that we joked about Brighton being the Champions League places. Now consecutive defeats and they're 16th. 
For me, the real surprise is that none of the traditional top six look as if they can come close to Liverpool and Manchester City. And already we can be talking about a two-horse race. I mean, last weekend, or game day four, as some countries call it, we saw four Africans scoring. Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang for Arsenal against Tottenham, Sadio Mane for Liverpool against Burnley, Jordan Ayew for Crystal Palace against Aston Villa, and Alex Iwobi for Everton against Wolves. And for Iwobi, that's two goals and two games for his new club. But there's just one other thing to mention. We have commented before on how the continental transfer window ended later than the Premier League's although that may change next summer, I understand. And that has seen a number of top players leaving Premier League clubs after the Premier League window in has closed. For example, Manchester United have seen Romelu Lukaku, Alexis Sanchez, Chris Smalling and Matteo Darmian all go to Italy. And just recently, Henrik Mkhitaryan has left Arsenal for Roma. And incidentally, he is the 11th first team squad player to leave Arsenal this summer, incredibly saving $1 million a week in wages. And Tottenham have lost Fernando Florenti uh, to Napoli. So actually, the loss of all those players means arguably the other top clubs are less strong than they were last season. Well then, so uh, maybe another two-horse race then, uh, if we look at that to evidence. And now, Stuart, one talking point after Liverpool's win over Burnley last weekend was the apparent friction between Sadio Mane and Mohamed Salah, with Salah having appeared to have been a bit selfish with the ball on a couple of occasions, and Mane not at all happy when he was substituted. Well, Steve, it's interesting to note that during the two seasons they've played together, Mane has set up 43 chances for Salah, but Salah has only set up 25 for Mane. But I actually don't think it's anything to worry about. Through the ages, top strikers have always been selfish. That's just part of their makeup. Although it was interesting that Jurgen Klopp did comment afterwards saying, I can think of five or six situations when everyone was thinking, pass it, pass it, pass it. And then Salah scored. But that's the freedom of the player. The players have to make the decisions to pass or not to pass. And sometimes, you know, you lose the ball or you miss kick it or you simply don't see a teammate. It's not necessarily the case that you ignore him. Remember, too, at the beginning of last season, Sadio Mane said he would score more goals than Salah. Again, I thought that was good. In the end, they each scored 22 goals in the Premier League. But I think a bit of competition between strikers and a selfish streak is no bad thing. Incidentally, what did emerge from Liverpool's performance against Burnley is that Roberto Firmino, while he doesn't score as many goals as the other two, is equally important for his selfless work in the Liverpool forward line. Yeah, no doubt about uh, his uh, work rate there. And uh, Stuart thinking then that uh, perhaps uh, nothing to worry about too much uh, as far as Salah and Mane's fallout is concerned. Uh, So four games into the season, Stuart, uh, what are your observations? Well, Steve, I am concerned how much we're talking about VAR. And OK, I'm going to talk about it again. Last weekend, there were arguably four big decisions that the officials got wrong and VAR did not intervene. West Ham probably should have had a penalty, Aston Villa as well, and a Leicester player was very fortunate not to get a red card, 
And then when Newcastle scored, it was following a handball. But the officials missed this. And so people are saying, you know, why are we spending so much money on VAR? And yet these errors are occurring and are not being corrected. I think part of the problem is we're still working out when VAR should be involved and when not. You know, in cricket and rugby, where they've been using television for longer, there is what's sometimes called the soft signal, hard signal, where the match official says what he thinks and asks the TV official if there's any clear evidence that he's wrong. And I understand that that is now happening informally with penalties, with match officials talking to VAR official about what he saw and why he made the decision. I also understand that there's a big disagreement between FIFA and UEFA on the subject of goalkeepers moving off the line while facing a penalty. UEFA instructs referees, and this is happening in the Premier League, that VAR should only intervene if it's blatant that the goalkeeper has moved off the line, whereas FIFA wants it to be black and white, like offside, so that a goalkeeper would be penalised if his foot is a millimetre in front of the line. I think this disagreement will run and run. Now, Steve, you'll love this one. Liverpool's first goal against Burnley last weekend came when a shot from Trent Alexander-Arnold deflected off Burnley's Chris Wood, who was standing well outside the penalty area and into the net. The goal went down as an own goal by Wood, with the ball travelling 28 metres. This is the longest distance own goal ever recorded in the Premier League, I'm not sure Chris Wood will be putting it on his CV, really. (laughs) That is unfortunate. An own goal from 28 metres out. Thanks a lot, Stuart. Uh, That's it for the show for this week. So from me, Steve Vickers in Harare, from Ida Waringa in Nairobi, and from Stuart Weir and Adrian Barnard in the UK, thanks a lot for listening. And Planet Sport Football Africa is a passion for sport production.